Hello and welcome to In Conversation, a Dub Lab podcast where each week we will bring you interviews from the Dub Lab Radio Archives. Well, good Sunday, or sorry, good Friday morning to you out there in Dub Lab land. My name is Chris Kissel and I am preempting your normal Friday morning programming today because. Colin Newman, vocalist and guitarist of the band Wire, is joining us today via Skype. Hey, Colin. Hiya. I'm so glad you could join us today. Wire, of course, a legendary band that really needs no introduction and one of those bands that probably changed several people's lives here at Dub Lab. Um, Wire has a new record coming out, their 15th, called Silver Lead. That's silver slash lead. Uh, which comes out on, fr- on uh, March 31st, and they will also be here in L.A. at the Drill L.A. Festival, their, um, the Wire-curated festival from March 30th through April 1st at the Echo and Echoplex, which, by the way, happens to take place on the band's 40th birthday. So welcome, Colin, and, and uh, thank you so much for, for joining us this morning. Well, thank you, thank you for having me. It's weird, weird you saying morning. It's like <laughs> that's five o'clock. It's nearly evening here, but still. <laughs> that's true. We have very, uh, very warped sensibility uh, going into the uh, going into the day here. Uh, well, so as I just mentioned, you you have a new record coming out. Wire has a new record coming out, and Wire has put out a handful of fantastic albums in the last few years. Four and a half, I guess you might call um, Nocturnal Koreans. I mean, I, I consider it a record, but, uh, you know, that would be five albums in the last seven or eight years. So I, I guess I would just start by asking you, you know, you guys find yourself at this, at, you know, in this fourth decade of your career, beginning the fifth decade of your career. How have you kept the productivity sparked or what has sort of sparked the recent uh, productivity with you guys? Uh, this is, is a simple answer. I mean, it's it's just one thing follows follows another, really. Um, mm. I think it kind of started with Red Bar Tree, because we were we had a, a Object Forty Seven, the album that preceded it, right. was made very much the same way that Send was. It was what I call hip hop style. It's mm. not recording as a band. It's actually just assembled out of bits. Um, and we had toured that, toured with that, and we'd, we'd, we'd had, we'd taken a guitarist, Margaret Fiegler McGuinness, on tour with us. Right. And we were starting to get more competent as a band. To, for a band to lose a founder member, you know, it's, it's, it's hard work when you've always done it one way. When, when it's not, we're not really musicians in the conventional sense, so it's not like you would know how to, how to play. Um, so, there was that, and um, I think we asked we asked a, a, another guitarist to join us for the touring of Red Bark Tree, and of, he of course stayed, Matthew Sims. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think through that album, and, and it's the fact that we did this whole um, really like a, the most serious kind of launch you can do. I mean, we did the whole thing, the big tour, the world, you know, the, you know worldwide is probably exaggerating a, a, a little but australia new zealand britain europe mm-hmm. north america we did and and that was the most comprehensive album launch that we've ever done um in terms of a release and what happened after that was kind of weird and interesting because i started flirting with this idea of um of what became change becomes us like mm-hmm. investigating the material that had not um, been resolved really at the end of the first edition of Wire, and there was a it was a weird process because mm-hmm. it wasn't just a process of exploring material; it was also exploring the feelings that had gone, how the band had dissolved. It was not a comfortable thing, right. um, and somehow it was bringing bringing us full circle, and. What was fascinating about that was that doing the album, uh, of course, we realised fairly soon on 
that w- this this was not going to be some kind of copy of what you of how you might have done a record in the early eighties. This right. is just like taking the material and just really renewing it, making something completely different out of it. A lot completely different in in some cases, pretty pretty different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really a joint venture. I mean, we went in the studio to do that together with Matt. The first time we worked with Matt. And that was only two years after Red Bike Tree had come out. Uh, but there was no real plan off the back end. Mm-hmm. Unlike Red Bike Tree, there was no world tour or anything organized. Um, but then it started to occur to me a couple of months before the album's release that we needed to do something. And this was compounded by the guy who was our label manager or our distributor at that point saying, you know, the concept is interesting, but most people are just going to think it's a new Wire album. Right. And and um, I kind of realised, it completely hit home, I realised it's completely telling the truth. And actually, we don't have a plan. So, you know, that was how Drill London happened. It was the first Drill, Drill Festival. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did it really to launch Change Becomes Us. But the parallel thing that happened in the thinking was, well, if we're doing a record in 2013 and I knew that we would want to do a new album in 2017 because I knew it was the anniversary. Right. Then doing an album in 2016 after three, three years, that's not going to work out. So we'd have to do it in 2015. Right. <laughs> and it all worked. Suddenly we did in the end in 2013, we did do an American and a European tour just later in the year. Mm-hmm. And, we realised that we could we could we could be on a two year cycle. We'd been previously on a five year cycle, and, and so to suddenly bring that down to two years meant yeah. okay. So we can talk, and then we can do another. Why not just do a, we'll do an album in twenty fifteen? That was really the timing came off of 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 like trying to get it so that we hit hit the creativity for the for the for the album that, that we're just releasing now. Right, and uh, that turned into a, that was its own story. Mm-hmm. Really, um, what happened with the self-titled album? Because we vastly over-recorded material <laughs> um, due to various misunderstandings about what was actually needed, um, and um, me panicking because I didn't have enough text from Graham and writing a whole bunch of songs with my text. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's kind of it's a mixture of of, of comedy and um, uh, and intent going on. I, I love to kind of talk about it in that way because it, it, I don't want to make it seem like some great heroic kind of, <laughs> you know, then we did this and then we did that, whatever. It just kind of happens. Right. Um, and so, like, then doing the 2015 album and doing, like, a, re- a, se- a reasonably serious plan off the back of it, of, of the touring and all the rest of it, um, left us in a situation in looking at 2016 thinking, well, we don't have a lot of gigs, mm-hmm. you know. What's uh, what? Where's you know? People start to say, "Well, where's the income coming from?" Um, so, I just thought, well, if we took that those eight tracks that didn't make um, uh, the, the self-titled album, and it wasn't really because they weren't good enough. It was partly because they weren't finished. Well, the other reasons why some, one song made it and another one did was would seem almost arbitrary to an outside. Viewer, you know, you have to realise you've got four people with radically different views right. about about anything, mm-hmm. um, and who can't half the time agree on anything. So, you know, it's a fairly brutal process to decide. Like these tracks are going on and these t- tracks aren't. But right. we came up with a list that ended up on the Wire album, and then there was I was I would say three or four of what ended up on Nocturnal Koreans was pretty much done and ready. I mean, it wouldn't, there wouldn't have been that much work to get them finished. But we did another go-round in, in another studio of adding some more bits to try and make the other pieces a bit more complete. Right. Um, and I, I, I became determined that we were going to... All of those tracks were going to be used. I was going to make them all work. And uh, so it's in, in a way, it's a more produced sort of air quotes than than um than than the self-titled album mm-hmm. because the self-titled album very much had had a played aesthetic right and nocturnal korean has got more it's got more brutal kind of stuff in it. it's kind of distortion on the drums there's you know there's 
drops, things where tracks drop out, which the band didn't actually play. It's just me taking the drums out. Okay. But fine, you know, have a different release. And, uh, you know, and that was an experiment, Nocturnal Koreans, because we just thought, but we shouldn't be putting out a record in 2016, really, by rights. We've got another <laughs> one coming out next year. Um, let's call it a mini album, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but we couldn't tour it. You know, we knew, I mean, we're the best will in the world. I mean, we can tour every two years, it seems, but we can't tour every year. Um, so that was sort of how Nocturnal Koreans came about. And then we knew, always knew for quite a long time that there was going to be this album in, 20, in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, we duly went into the studio last year to start recording. You have to plan so far ahead these days because of vinyl. You know, the album had to be finished. I knew it had to be finished at some point in early October last year in order to be ready for for the release date. So um, that was quite a challenge to get it done. But this time the innovation was that we recorded in both studios in Rockfield. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's got something of the played aesthetic of the of the Wire album, but it's also got this massive drum sound recorded across two drum studios, which I think kind of makes it. There's, I didn't have to resort to any kind of trickery to get to what sounds like a really great drum sound, you know. And you didn't have the same experience of coming out of those sessions with too much material. Uh, yeah, there was too much material. <laughs> there was, it was a slightly, it was a fairly brutal discussion yeah. about um, about what uh, about what went on and what didn't go on. Um, and there are some tracks left. Um, I'm not quite sure. It would be nice to try and do another release. I, I'm one thing which which is difficult about the last few releases is that change becomes us. Um, uh, the self-titled album and Nocturnal Koreans are all April releases. April releases are a pain in the butt because of Record Store Day. Getting anything manufactured in time for it is really hard. So um, I really, really want to start putting out records at a different time of the year. So that means we have to kind of switch it around a bit. So I've kind of... My plan, if I've got any plan at all, is that we should be aiming for 2020 for the next like full album release. But I fully imagine that we will be putting out something uh, back end of next year. I see. And and so, I mean, I, I guess sort of coming out of that, uh, I would be curious to ask, you know, I, I know that you've sort of taken on a producer role. Well, you have taken on a producer role. And, you know, this is a band that you've been playing with for 40 years how and, and everything you know that you do is comes out of so much quality control and, and so much you know for at least from what you're saying sort of a democratic approach to making sure that everyone's satisfied with the product how, how has yeah. that dynamic sort of uh, evolved throughout time uh well i think i think um i would not call myself i do the production i'm not the producer mm. I do the production of the music. I don't produce the people. I don't tell anybody what to do. I think it's quite important that we that we are we arrive at the decisions. I mean, a classic wire song, one that I've written on acoustic guitar, I'll bring to the studio in demo form, and nobody from the band will have heard it, mm-hmm. and then we learn it and play it. Right. That's and and I don't say to anybody, you need to do this or you know, beyond the obvious things of, you know, you need that chord and that chord and that chord. But, you know, it's not like we, we know we should be thinking about this kind of mood when we're making this music. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes quite radical things happen to the arrangement because, you know, someone say, well, we want this faster or slower or, or you know, just a different approach with it. Huh. And that's kind of how the, the band has its own logic. Mm-hmm. Between the four members, it's it's one of the um, re- absurd paradoxes about why is that you know individually you have four people who can barely agree on anything, right. but they can be complete unanimity <laughs> over a piece of music. Yeah. You know, it's just it doesn't make any sense. But you know, but in a way, because of all that, it's the reason why it continues to be challenging 
in an interesting way, not in a difficult way. Um, and people still get stuff out of it. Everybody's still excited to do new stuff. People, 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 we're up for it. That's what that's what we are as a band. We yeah. exist for for new material. We don't exist for living in in the past. I definitely know? think that that is uh, a quality of. Uh, I think that's a quality of, of you know that's part of what makes Wire such a great band. You know, I think that's part of why. You guys have been able to uh, sort of evolve your sound. Well, well, Colin, um, I want to, at this point, uh, introduce you to Ariel Pink, who is in the studio uh, with me this morning. I'm going to turn on your Hi, mic. Hi, Ariel. Ariel. Hey there, Colin. Hi, how are you doing? Can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Yeah, okay, sounds I, great. I can't really hear myself. Okay. Um, it, it might be a, a control on your... Uh, there you go. I think that's better, yeah. Okay, sweet. Um, well, yeah, I'll turn it over to you. I, I think you had a couple of questions that you wanted to ask. Uh, well, yeah. I, I mean, I was I was planning on conducting this. I'm sorry I, I came late. Uh, it just uh, got a little confusing. Uh, there's a movie being filmed outside. So, um, Hey, how you doing? I'm doing good. And you? Uh, I'm, I'm doing good. I hope, uh, I, hope I don't uh, go over... Uh, or ask anything that's already been asked, and but uh, but yeah. Um, like I can't see you, which is a bit strange. What was that? I know I can't see you either. Yeah. Um. Uh. But I guess. Uh, I guess there's nothing really to look at. I'm glad. I'm glad you can't see me actually. Um. So. Uh. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't. Should I just take over from here? I mean. Okay. Okay. <laughs> cool. Um. Well, I um so yeah, so I I I I realized that um that you run a label as well, right? I mean, you you Yes. I, I, well, I run two labels actually. You run two labels. Yeah. Oh, cool. Um and and you put out um other artists as well as Wire and and uh yourself, your solo stuff and and whatnot. What is yeah? I've, I, it's, there's a, there's a label called Swim, which Malcolm, my partner, and I started uh, back in the in the early nineties, um, and uh, we were very active in the nineties. And in the last two two kind of decades, or the you know the last sort of fifteen years, we've tended to more release our own stuff. Uh, Pink Flag kind of took over because it is obviously a new Y record it does gain some attention and we do sell copies of it and um it, do, it is a big sort of driver um but we certainly um continue with releasing swim stuff i mean we we put out um immersion uh last year uh, two 10 inches and a and an, an album um and that but that's malka and i ourselves we haven't released anyone else for a while but we used to release quite a few other artists yeah Mainly dance music, but not um, not BC Gilbert or, Lu- or or Graham Lewis or any of the, any of their projects. I mean, that's a bit of a it's a bit of a weird thing. I mean, Pink Flag as a label will only only releases Wire Records. Okay, doesn't release anybody else's music. Gotcha. So there's a very peculiar. Um, I don't think there's any other record companies in existence that only release one artist, and there would be no way in hell that any member of Wire would ever want to be released on my label. <laughs> you know, that, you know, come on, you're in a band, you know what, you know how that thing works, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, well, I was going to ask because uh, I guess that ties in with uh, my next question because uh, because it, it, it did seem like, and I mean, I know this is probably going over um, ancient history here, but, but um, you know, after the initial disillusion of the band, I guess, around... In the early '80s, uh, uh, it seemed like you went one way, and then the other guys went the other way. Uh, and I don't. I, if you could maybe just uh, talk a little bit about that. I mean, you guys came came back together in the mid '80s, and and uh, and you know started up again. But it seemed like it was a another phase in the very uh, uh, enigmatic and just 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 disjointed uh uh history 
<laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think I think it, what you think about all that is so, depends so much on where you're coming from, right? To be honest, which is from from nowhere. I, I think. <laughs> I think. I think. I mean, Bruce was kind of the driver of the kind of dome stuff, right? And he was he wanted to experiment with uh, doing stuff, lo-fi recordings in a cheap studio. Um, and I wasn't so interested in that. I still wanted to do recordings that were more hi-fi in bigger studios. Uh, but I think aesthetically, um, I think that was, that was kind of the main thing. But then, uh, you know, when, when Graham started doing his solo stuff, I mean, you know, his first solo record, his He Said record, was very much like a pop production, you know. So right. I think people people go in different directions um, uh, Bruce has, has certainly has an appreciation of uh, high production values. I just think it's I just think it's a matter of that. That was what I think the original plan at the end of the at the end of the seventies was that um, we were going to have imagined that EMI, the label we were with at the time, would allow us to have an imprint on right. which we would put out you know, a few solo records and different kind of things, and then we would deliver them a wire record every year or so. Um, and uh, they didn't really go for the plan. So I think that's a lot of, like, if you go back to, like, the first Dome album and A to Z, that's really w where they came from. Like, that was the idea that I had was I wanted to do a song record and I wanted to work in a decent studio. And the idea that Bruce had was very much you wanted to do lo-fi recordings um, in an eight-track studio, um, which which would be more like the kind of music that he was listening to at that point. Did you did uh, you call it lo-fi back then? Just out of curiosity. Um, I, yeah, that's, that's a good question. That is a good question. I don't know if I don't know if lo-fi was the terminology uh, at the time, <laughs> but I think I think that, that that was kind of the idea. I think. What I I was less interested, although I did lots of home recordings. Yeah, you got um, you got that experimental too. I, I, I yeah yeah. So so I, I I I definitely definitely you know was kind of interested in that, but I somehow felt that I you know I was I'm still more interested. I'm still interested in putting out like song records, kind of made in a, like a proper studio. And I still I still like you know I have my own studio which I'm sitting in right now. And you know you can really make kind of music at any kind of level you choose these days, mm -hmm. um, and there's certainly elements of lo-fi within things that I work on, um, and certainly um, you know like immersion is definitely not pop, right. um, but you know there's there's you know if for a wire record I, I think it requires a certain level of you know production air quotes you know. You know, the people, people, there's a certain expectation. Right. It's and also, kind that, of a studio, a, a studio creation or something like that. Um, well, I think, to be honest, I think that um, I, I'm, I'm really interested in um, the idea because I come from, um, as a sort of, as a studio person. I mean, I've developed my home, my own studio since, really since the middle of the 80s. And it was just an eight-track tape recorder and a little mixing board at the beginning, and then I added an Atari, and then gradually built the whole thing. But it's still in a sort of person; you know, it's in a garage, right. you know. And um, uh, I love the idea that you can uh, you can approach something which sounds like a pretty high-level production in a studio which is deeply, deeply unimpressive. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it seems like a, like it's an outdated concept. To, I mean, there's no reason to, to pay all that much. I mean, nowadays it's all it's all pretty much the the, the standard, right? I mean, it, it, it's pretty much at your Well, I, I, I think, I think, I mean, I, I like when it comes to actual recording, because all I do record as a band. I mean, we, we will go into, like, decent studios. We've done the last basically uh, four albums in Rockfield, which is a, a studio, it's a studio complex in Wales where some pretty famous records have been recorded. Right. Um, and that's, 
that's also it's an interesting environment to work with to work in because you have you know what you pay for is basically just the sound of the rooms you know you're paying for very nice sounding rooms and that you know that's that's if in this day and age if you're going to pay money for something that's what to pay for you know you don't want to necessarily pay money for like you know just fancy gear or something like that you know right 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 well um so uh so moving on um are let me ask you this i mean do you have uh uh do you have any kids yeah i've got one one uh, one son can i ask how old he is yeah he was born in 88 so i guess he's like what we now he's um 29 now okay cool so so did you uh or he will be 29 in November, actually. Yeah, he's 28. Do you feel any kind of like uh, any kind of uh, I don't know? Uh, I mean, how do, how do you feel with uh, the kids? When I say kids, I mean I guess I guess just the young adults. Uh, uh, I guess, or, the, or the the millennials. I mean, as opposed to like what you were doing at that age. Uh, uh, how how do you feel? I mean, what is your what is your relationship to what, how do you feel about uh today's uh uh i guess audience and uh, the new listeners i suppose well i think that um i think if 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 while we're relying on people our own age to turn up to gigs i think we wouldn't play to very many people to be honest um, I think the average the average age of our audience is probably in their forties, but in bigger cities like you know London and LA, New York, you know you you're going to have a lot of people in their twenties coming to the show, and and I, I think that's a great thing, yeah. um, and they're not just coming because they think that this is some group they're supposed to see, uh, they're coming because they've huge come fans. before, and and and, and they have. And their mates are there as well. Right. It's not like, you know, they're not like turning up thinking, oh, God, I'm, there's going to be nobody my age there. They know there's not going to, there's going to be plenty of other people their age there. So I, I missed think your, it's fine. I, I missed your show at the Echo when you guys played out here. Uh, I mean, you guys played there, right? You played at the Echo? Yeah, we played, we, In LA. we played a few times. We played a few times. Uh, which is the bigger one, the Echo or the Echo Plex? Uh Well, they're both the, they're both you know, it's either one or the other, but they're both the same building, pretty much. Uh, yeah, the same building. No, we 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 tend to play the bigger one. Yeah. Um, it's it's uh, we've done that. I think one. I think I can't remember what year it was. I think it was 2011. We did Coachella, which was a oh. weird experience, to be quite honest. And we didn't play LA, but I mean, normally, normally we will we will play LA. That's why we're having the drill festival in 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 that building actually because. Lit after the last time we played there, which was uh, 2015, uh, Liz came up and just said, "You guys want to do Drill LA here?" That was kind of really where it, where it kicked off, you know. Right. I mean, every drill we've done, we've done quite a few now. It's all been people coming to us and saying, uh, "We'd like to, we'd like to have a drill festival." Wow. I don't know why. <laughs> Are they bonkers or something? Drill, 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 taka, taka, taka. <laughs> yeah, I haven't listened to that one in so long. Man. Uh but uh but yeah, no, I mean I I I I miss the shows, but I I really wanted to see them. Uh Well, uh, we we'll, we we'll are you know, the next show, the next show will be the 1st of April when we're when right. we're headlining Drill LA. That's that's the next that's the next show in LA. Right. And, so and uh, are you going to Sorry, uh, go on. Then the two days before that will be other other people. Well, obviously, there's other people on the on the same night as us, including uh, uh, the project I have with Malco Immersion. We're playing on the first night. I got you. Okay, cool. And when does the uh, actual uh, Nocturnal Koreans? When does that come out? The Nocturnal Koreans was last year's record. Uh, Silver oh. Lead is the new one. It oh. comes out. Yeah, yeah. It's, I know it's hard to keep up with. We're putting out. They so just many. said they said they sent me the wrong. Uh, info. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, um, Silver Lead is is out on the thirty first of March, 
there's the reason for the timing of everything is 31st of March is the, is the closest um, Friday because all international releases are on Fridays these days. Right. Um, uh, so it's the closest Friday to the 40th anniversary of the first gig of the classic four piece of the band, which is 1st of April 77. So 1st of April 2017 uh, will be headlining at the um, at the Echo in uh, or the Echo Plex, I think it is in in um, in LA, as opposed to playing to three people in a basement in Covent Garden, <laughs> which is what we've been doing forty years before. <laughs> well, um, well, that's great, man. I I, I don't know uh, where we're at with this thing, but uh, oh, we got more time. Cool. Uh, uh, who's in the lineup at this point? Is it is it a uh, it's 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 you? It's it's Graham Lewis, and then. No, Robert Goes. Rob, 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 yeah, Robert, he prefers Grey for, well, really since at least uh, 38 of those, 40 years. Um, uh, and we have a young, younger guitarist called Matthew Sims, who's been with us since 2010. Bruce Gilbert left in, um, in 2004. Um, and uh, we didn't, we never had the plan to replace him. We took, live guitarists in the past including Matt was one of them but then he, we realised that he was too good to let go Hello Hello So that was that was how he kind of turned so uh, you know he's he's just turned 30 so I, I don't know if he's a, he's quite in the in the youngest generation of people that we deal with but um he seemed, he's got a kind of fairly wise head on his shoulders and sometimes seems more grown up than other members of the band who are considerably <laughs> older than him. Yeah, well, uh, what, do you, what do you make of Spotify and, and uh, you know, the, the, the death of the aux cable and YouTube and all these, uh, these things as a, as a person who runs a label and as a person who's... Well, I, I, I mean, the thing is, I, I think that... Both as an artist and as a label, I think you have to be, um, you know, uh, completely agnostic about the format in which your material is released. I mean, we we do, um, we release, uh, Silver Lead is going to be released in four main formats. Um, uh, Obviously, CD, which we still sell, and we sell vinyl. Uh, Vinyl, obviously... We have something else which is called the special edition. I'm holding it up so Mike can see it because he's looking. This is like a, um, it's the size of a seven inch. It's a, it's 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 a book. So you have inside, like, you know, pictures and the text and writing about the thing. So it's a substantial book, which contains the audio is a CD. That's really for the fans, but I think that that kind of goes along with the part of the world where I mean we can't really do stuff like laser cut vinyl or hand made releases because our releases are required in more quantities than than can be can be done for that. So that's kind of our response to that sort of end of the market. But then you can you know you can buy it on iTunes or you can stream it on Spotify, you know. Uh, I, you can consume it on YouTube if you must, you know. Uh, it, it's, we should not be judge, judging. I think you have to judge the formats. Um, uh, obviously, we would prefer, um, and people should uh, listen to music um, uh, in, a, in some kind of situation where somebody who made the music actually gets some benefit from them having listened to it. Um, there is, I, I think, Spotify, although per line, it's just so minimal. You know, it's a part of a penny, what you get per play. Yeah. Um, it is the, it's the repetition and the sheer quantity of it that does, you know, add up to a, to, to a digital income. And the other thing is, is that Spotify, as opposed to um, uh so something like iTunes, where people buy digital, or Amazon, where they buy digital. If someone's bought a record on digital, they may not be so inclined to buy a physical format. Whereas I think if somebody 
find something on Spotify and likes it, because it's a subscription model, they just think, well, maybe I'd quite like to buy the physical version of that as well, because I like that. I'd like to have that as a record. So I, I think there is some there are some advantages to Spotify in over iTunes for that regard, and and it is becoming the stronger, uh, very much the stronger medium for for. Um, uh, for digital, I mean, people seem to be less and less buying digital and more and more streaming it. And that's not forgetting Apple Music, who are actually very big supporters of Wire, actually. Um, so, 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 I mean, like, uh, considering that you, you obviously, you, there's obviously, obviously have a business mind about it, you know, and I mean, you wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't, you know, uh, uh, you know, keeping you afloat somewhat or like you know i mean i mean you you, you pretty I, I imagine most of your time is probably devoted to this kind of stuff um well i think i think the attitude has to be i mean if you're i think the idea that 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 an artist you know an artist needs to see something in return for what they do because if that return is enough for them to survive off it that gives them the opportunity to take what they do and refine it and run with it yeah. and get somewhere with their art. If they're not earning any money from it, then it's just a hobby. But then, how, but then how do you actually – I mean I imagine you, you, you make money from wire, but then you have – you're running a label as well. So like – and I can't imagine that's, that's anything be, you know, other than a money pit. I mean I, mean, I – I, um, yeah, I, I think what I earn from Wire does substitute other does uh, subsidize other projects that I work on. Definitely, right, right. right. Uh, but that's but that's uh, that's, that's because you're a freak. <laughs> well, I mean, it's that's 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 a decision to just do it like that. Um, and you know, because I run Wire's label, right. um, it does. You know, it's it's not unsuccessful as a label. You know, it's um, it, you know, it's you can. You can do quite well out of that. You know, it's, it's very hard. I mean, I'm, I'm really sympathetic of people who are really at the coalface and, like, releasing music. Yeah. Especially trying to release on vinyl because vinyl is very, very expensive yep, yep, format yep. to release on. What is it now? You is know, it like five, everybody... five or six dollars or five or six pounds per, per record? Yeah, yeah. And then just, just this and, – and actually, I don't want to be – I don't want to be talked too strongly on this, but I think that the cult of vinyl is actually quite destructive for a lot of musicians because if you're in a young, you're in a young band and you've just started and you, you've got some ideas and and then your your ambition is to have something released on vinyl. There's no way you can get to that on your own. You're not going to have the resources to do it, right. and that that means you may end up having to compromise in other ways in order to get somebody to put your record out on vinyl. Far better to, you know, like figure out a way of making something which is home packaged of a, of a CDR or a, or a cassette or something like that so you can sell at your gigs and, and kind of build your audience that way. Um, I, I, I think, you know, and I, and I think that the vinyl market has, still, has also been flooded by, you know, cheap re-releases of, you know, that crap that comes out around Record Store Day of, you know, Bruce Springsteen, you know, box set, you know, released for the 80th time in, you know, yellow vinyl. So it just, it's kind of depressing, really. Right, you right. So, so so you don't go for the, the, so, so you don't have any love for the, for the labels or the, the indie majors or anything like that? Well, I, I just, I, I mean, I just think, you know, it's a format. Vinyl is a great format, you know, and it's very, it's, you know, it requires a certain kind of discipline to listen Re- to a record. Requires you know, records, you record players. Put it on. Yeah. You have to physically, you have to record play, you have to put the thing on, you have to flip it over, you know, on when it comes to the other side, it requires a certain amount of dedication. And, and, and that's really, for some people to consume music that way is a pleasure. And I, I, I wouldn't ever want to deny anybody that. I think it's a, I think it's a great thing, but it's not the be all and end all of everything. You can't listen to it in the car. You can't listen to it on headphones. Well, you can, but only while sitting in the chair. You can't listen you know, to anything can't... anymore on the car. You have to listen to everything on Bluetooth now. They they literally don't have a. They don't make CD players anymore. <laughs> I don't. I, even... have an iPod, I have an iPod that connects my USB to to uh, to my uh, car stereo, so that 
I can kind of more or less listen to anything that, that I want to in yeah, the I'm car. I'm jealous. <laughs> <laughs> mine doesn't. Mine doesn't have a a, a an auxiliary cable anymore. I, I mean, it's it's. Oh yeah, I, I, I listen to talk radio. I think the lack of. It doesn't it got even. Hasn't it got USB? It doesn't even have a USB. It's a it's a oh, nine, it's a 2004 uh, Honda and it and it, it I should have I should have checked it before I, I bought it off my friend. I knew there was something something shady about it. It was too cheap. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think that, I, I think the idea that that we are going to be continuously on the internet and we're only going to ever stream music is also a bit ridiculous, to be quite honest. I mean, I, it's, it's kind of you know, the way of, you know, Apple not putting your headphone socket on their phone and all that. I think it kind of, de- I think it kind of defeats in one thing you can learn from looking at the music market for the last, you know, however many years is the death of formats has been greatly exaggerated. I remember in the 80s, everyone said vinyl is finished. You know, right. Well, no. I mean, I, I, I feel like I was, uh, you know, I was part of like the wave that that brought it back for some reason, uh, almost as a joke, and then it sort of like it sort of took off in this really weird way. Uh, this is like in the in the early two thousands, and then and then it just, you know, I I was I was shocked. I mean, I, I was uh, when I was I was signed to four AD for a second, and they, um, uh, I think at one point we were like the highest. We were we didn't we didn't sell anything that was like you know like any we weren't like the national or anything like that we were like yeah we didn't we didn't sell very much but of the things we did sell twenty percent I think was was vinyl and I think that that was just like an un, that was like a record high or something like that uh, with with the format because normally it's about it represents like two or three percent of the sales or something like that but uh, but th- this was back in two thousand and eleven something like that but uh, well I mean. Vinyl never, vinyl never. I mean, in the nineties, I mean, when we were when we first started Swim, one of the first things we started doing was putting out stuff for, for DJs on vinyl. Right, right. Everything for everything for the dance floor had to be on vinyl, and it's still there. The it's only, still... Yeah, it was the only way. That, you know, yeah. Nowadays, you know, DJs, DJ mixers, you know, that is CD, you don't, you just, mixers, yeah. it's, well, you actually don't need a CD. You just need a USB stick. Right, basically. right. Exactly, and they just copy all the files over, and it's just you know, it's very. Or you can just play them directly from the USB stick. It's all the fun out of it. It's gone virtual, although you know, I'm sure there are still old school DJs who like to you know the two turntable thing of you know, and all that. I can't do that. You know, save my life. You just got your iPod and you just plug it in. No, I do. I do. I do. I, if I have to DJ, I do. I do. I do dad DJing. I prepare everything in uh, Pro Tools before. <laughs> I prepare all the mixes beforehand. So there's no, no adaptability. So if the audience don't like it, they can lump it because that's what I prepare. Put a scarecrow up, just like like a, a little lookalike, Colin Newman. Yeah, it's kind of like kind of experimental too. <laughs> it's... Yeah, it's it's. I I I just think the whole. The whole, you know, formats. You know, it's it's just it's music, and the people that really like music, you know, what they they just will get it whatever way that they want to get it, and they will just enjoy it for what it is. And then the rest of the people, which is like ninety percent of the people who consume music, haven't got a clue anyway. Right. Yeah, you know, people listen because I'm I can say that because people who listen to Dub Dub Lab are obviously clued in. You know, yeah, they're obviously. You are not, yeah, you're not going to get the right kind the of people listening who, who you know, has very general kind of taste, you know. You know, so it's 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 the way it's always it always has been. Yeah, I mean, in the soundtrack back, of good back times in, back in the sixties and the seventies, it was self-separating because only the people that actually liked music owned record players. The rest of the people just to, just used to listen to the radio. That's all they. That's where they. That's where they got their music from. They didn't, only they didn't the, even have a bootleg in, culture yet, up, to, up until Bob Dylan, I think. That was in the seventies. Well, and it was only in the eighties when, when uh, especially companies like Sony brought in like sort of stereo, decent stereos you could get, you know, but not so expensive that you know the general population started buying Blank CD, and that was when that massive spike in sales happened. Of you right. know just 
artists selling huge, huge numbers because it was all people who bought CD players and they needed to buy something to play on their CDs and they on on those players and they just bought the stuff that everybody else bought. You know, right, and they had they had to get caught up and like you know essentially re-release everything that had ever been released. I mean everything, uh, which yeah. I'm, which I'm very thankful for because I was completely. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I bought everything in the in the gray area catalog, uh, including. But then that, but that's also created its own problem. The fact that everything that's because everything that's ever been released is available. When you, if you're a new artist putting out a new record, you're not only just competing with your peers uh, and other success and the successful artists who are around at the moment. You're competing with every other record that's ever been released ever. I know. How do you stand out? Well, you have to be that much better, I guess. I, I don't know how you do oh, it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, I, mean, I, 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 I imagine it's, it's a catch-22 because, I mean, even if you're like an established artist, you're, you're competing with yourself at that point uh, and, and competing with, uh, every, well, it's, with your, it's, your it's former one of, It's one of youth. the problems that, that Wire has <laughs> is that, you know, one of – I mean, Mike was asking me earlier about, you know, about, you know, how come we're, you know, like – seem to be uh, over the last few albums operating at this kind of quite uh, high uh, an elevated scale because I once you get to a certain age you have to kind of it's almost like you know black people gay people and women you've got to overprove you know you've got to prove you're as good as anyone else you know you, you we're old we're in we're in another minority and and secondly because you know we have people holding up you know, our releases from the 70s to us, you know, expecting us not to be as good. Right. You know, so we have to just kind of be damn well proof that we are, it's the same band and we are as good. And it's fine. It's not to say that those records are bad. Those records are great. But we can make other great records as well. It's okay. What do the you find is... embarrassing? What do I find embarrassing? Yeah, if there's anything. Ooh. What in wire or in life? Uh, I I mean I guess I guess uh, in life, but I guess in wire. Uh, I'd like to know that. I mean, like, is there is there is there is there something that you just were like, oh no, gosh, that let's just let's just forget that. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I don't suffer from as much embarrassment as I used to. I used to su- I used to suffer from acute embarrassment in lots of situations. Now I I seem to become just a bit more hardened to it. You know. Yeah, there's all kinds of occasions where stuff happens. You know, you you say the wrong thing. I remember once saying to a girl um, that, um, oh, uh, congratulating her on on uh, becoming pregnant. <laughs> she just put on white. You know, I'm sure we've all done that. You know, that's embarrassing. You know, that's. Uh, and I've given my condolences. You know, they, it's yeah. like it's that you feel proud that you've noticed. You know, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to prove what a nice person I am by saying this. You know, and you're just proving you're an arsehole, You know, yeah. so, you, you broke up. Oh my god, congratulations! Oh, I mean, my condolences. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's just you know, life is life is uh, uh, full of things that will trip you up, um, and uh, you know. That's uh, that. That's how it is. That's why it's probably sensible not to get too arrogant and too um, self, you know, believing in yourself beyond, uh, like I don't know what's reasonable. You know. Yeah, the disappointment looks like it's about to say something. Uh, so uh, okay, so uh, they're saying I got one more one more question here, uh, that I can ask. Um, uh, did you vote for Brexit? Hell no. <laughs> okay. I live in Brighton, okay? <laughs> I'm very proud of the fact that 70% of the population of Brighton did not vote for Brexit. Yeah, why would they, why would they vote for that? I did, why did would they, they? Do they even vote in Brighton? Uh, yes, they do, actually. It's, 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 a, it's a great, you know, uh, if you know it, it's... I do. I, I guess you could... You could uh, describe it as being the sort of—it's kind of the Portland of, of, uh, of Britain. If you buy Portland. into that. Well, wait, what, what was the the movie with um, with uh, uh, da- uh, is it uh, the Rock on guy uh, the the Dave uh, Dave uh, Dave Essex? There's it took place in Brighton. 
Did it? Well, I thought you were going to say Nick Case. Nick Case. Nick Case Mersey. That was. Oh, did that take place No, it's like. Yeah, a... no. It's just like it's it, it's a very liberal city, and 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 people have that kind of attitude. And we don't. We're not here suffering from uh, the effects of um, uh, of what's perceived as effects of global globalization with actually just shoddy employment law. Uh, if you had decent employment law, uh, people who are suffering from the effects of global, think they're suffering from the effects of globalization, wouldn't be suffering from it because companies wouldn't be able to hire, right? You know, go and make their stuff somewhere else cheaper. You know, it was, right. it's, uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's all down to, it's like kind of right wing politics building on right wing politics. You know, right, right. Like yeah, let's 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 all let's blame somebody else. You know. I, I, you know, I, you know. I'm sure I've, I'm sure I've said enough. I'm sure you know where I stand on a number of issues from, from, from the way I'm talking. So, um, you know, uh, so I, I'm, I'm incredibly disappointed in Britain, and it's been more or less the, the situation is the people who didn't vote for Brexit, which was 48 percent of the people who voted, have been completely and utterly ignored. Nobody gives a stuff. Right. Now it's, it's like you shut up and shut up and get on with it. I, you know we're perpetually told by you know clowns like Nigel Farage that the British people voted for Brexit. How they didn't. You know, a small majority voted for it. Right. But he should be up against the wall and shot anyway. Uh, uh, up against the Trump wall. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well. Well. It's great talking to you. Thank you both. Yeah, I, yeah. I for one am glad to know that one of my musical heroes did not vote for Brexit. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> everybody here at Dublin voted for Trump. So. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah of course. Naturally. I would have. Yeah. Naturally. We voted naturally. for Cal Exit. Yeah. So, yeah, solid supporter. Solid supporter. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, yeah, Colin, thank you so much for, for calling in uh, from London. And Ariel, thanks for stopping by and asking some questions. Uh, absolutely my honor to be uh, in the studio uh, virtually with both of you. So um, I'll just you know remind people that Wire has a new album, Silver Lead, that's out on March 31st. Is that right? Yeah, March, March 31st. 31st. And then uh, Drill L.A., Wire will be in town. Uh, that is March 30th through April 1st. And there's a bunch of other great uh, musicians playing at that, too. Julia Holter, Bob Mould, Mile High Club, a crazy lineup. Did you curate that lineup, by the way? Did you, was that how that worked out? Yeah, we do. We do curate. That's a very, it's very, a hard very question. long discussion. But okay. it is, we, we do curate it, but it's hard work. Uh, that's we'll leave it at that um it is a really cool lineup so we're we're excited to have you in town thank you both uh, thank you both so much all right thank you look after yourself take care cheers in conversation was produced by dub lab a non-profit radio station broadcasting live from los angeles since 1999 sound editing and theme song by matea bain for more programming visit dublab.com and thank you for listening